Welcome to The Art of Marketing, a podcast webinar series to help you connect with your customers. We talk with marketing directors, executives, and business owners to learn more about their approach to marketing, hear which tactics deliver results in different industries, and give you some ideas for your next campaign. The Art of Marketing is brought to you ad-free by Applied Art and Technology. Applied Art is a creative studio that helps businesses create professional content that gets results. From video production, websites, virtual events, and much more, Applied Art can help you build the bridge from marketing to sales. To learn more about our company, visit our website at appliedart.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. This is The Art of Marketing. everybody to episode 27 of the Art of Marketing podcast with your friends at Applied Art. Today we're talking about all things creating content chemistry with Andy Crestodina from Chicago. Um, we'll give him a time to kind of introduce himself in a second, but we're welcome with our regulars, Shannon Quinn, our business development manager, George Chris, one of our partners, and myself, Ryan, and I'm in marketing. And today uh, we're talking about, like we said, content chemistry and how we can use that for your brand. So uh, Andy uh, is a wonderful guy. I think we, we talked over some of the topics from yesterday, and I think there's going to be a lot of great stuff to talk about today. So um, Andy is the owner of Orbit Media up in Chicago, so I'll let him introduce himself. But Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I liked the little prep call we did. There's so many interesting topics that we can cover, but yeah, a short version. I am an SEO and analytics guy from way back 20 years, doing both those things since the founding of Orbit in 2001. And uh, the last, since 2007, I've been uh, a content marketer, content strategist, blogger, social media, email marketing, influencer marketing. So yeah, it's kind of cool. All those, th- all those channels come to came together in this, in this uh, combined uh, thing we now called content or inbound uh, content marketing or inbound marketing. And I teach, I speak, and I make videos, and I, I love to uh, uh, jump into these topics and give uh, the most practical advice that I can. That's awesome. So for folks that don't know what Orbit does, can you tell us a little bit about what your company does and where you guys specialize? Sure. Orbit is a web development company, uh, web design and development. Uh, everything we do, we do in-house. We're a team of 40 people. Uh, as I said, we started 20 years ago, so the growth has been slow and organic compared to a lot of startups, but uh, it's now a $6 million company uh, revenue top line. And it's an example of one of those businesses that was built completely on content marketing um, and search. So we don't spend any money on advertising. We don't do any cold calls. Uh, we generate more than a thousand leads a year just through our content and we build an average of 50 to 60 sites a year. They tend to be a little bit upstream. There's not one industry, but they tend to be kind of, you know, mid-market companies, well-established firms, maybe 10 million plus, something like that, I'd guess. That's uh, pretty amazing. Thanks, you Ryan. know, why, uh, I guess that's, you know, we hear a lot about content marketing. When did you realize the potential here? Why is, why is content marketing, can it be so powerful? And, and I think, why can't it be done so poorly? <laughs> well, the original idea for us was to uh, keep in touch with large groups of people because uh, web design is something that you need maybe every four to five years. So how am I going to keep in touch with enough people to keep the sales pipeline full, right? We're a B2B company. 
we need sales. <laughs> We're a project-based <laughs> company. We don't have lots of retainers. So how do I have the, how do I keep the marketing pipeline so full that the sales uh, pipeline is full enough to have a steady stream of incoming projects to keep a team of, of full-timers employed? Well, it immediately became obvious to me that I needed to have a way, sort of drip marketing, we called it at the time. We didn't even really use the term content or marketing in the beginning, it was just blogging. So blog plus newsletter equals way to keep in touch with groups, with um, enough people who might need us, trying to stay top of mind. So it was not easy then, it's much more difficult now because there's so much noise. The inbox of our prospects has not gotten less crowded. <laughs> Yeah. The number of people who are publishing hasn't gone down. So uh, it, more than ever, it's really important to, to be surprisingly helpful uh, to differentiate your content by making it just higher quality, investing more time in it, um, uh, depending on the industry. Some industries, it's not as competitive. In our space, digital marketing, and um, it's like the Olympics. It's really competitive. I think it's interesting too, you, you talk about the inbound strategy, especially with B2B, and we hear this all the time, is that B2B marketing is so different than B2C. Maybe talk about how your inbound strategy is really fueling, like you said, those, those inbound leads that are coming to your business and what that's really doing from a strategy standpoint for your guys as you continue to grow. Yeah, I, uh, I saw a presentation once years ago that made the case that it's not really B2B versus B2C, but the, bigger the biggest difference is, is it high consideration or low consideration? Mm. What we do is definitely high consideration. There's like a half dozen decision makers and they're gonna think about it for like two months. So that's an example of a consultative sales process. Mm -hmm. um, uh, George, you and I have both read the Challenger sale. Mm -hmm. you know, th these, are, uh, these are engagements where you separate yourself from the competitors through expertise. That's content. That is con that, that's one of the ways in which content works. It demonstrates expertise. It shows that you know what you're doing. And content is actually uh, expertise that is packaged up in a way that's portable, that can move around through different people, influencers and decision makers within a, sale, a sales process. Imagine if you have a great sales call and the person hangs up the phone afterwards, and then they have to explain what you said through like a game of telephone to the next person. Not ideal. But if you have a great sales call and you follow up with an article or a video, that summarizes all those really critical points in a way that's just more, has more clarity and is more succinct than they expected. That's a sales tool, that's content for sales. Totally underrated, sometimes called bottom of funnel content, sometimes called sales enablement content. Uh, and it's another way to think about it. It's not just about page views and rankings, it's about making something that helps your buyer, your prospect, make a buying decision. Um, and that's something that um, uh, a lot of, you know, if you just read like HubSpot and read a lot of the blogs, like it doesn't really explain content as having that kind of performance, but it absolutely works in that way. Absolutely. We have a question here that came from one of the audience members. I think it's, it's applicable to where we're going with the conversation. They asked, what's the roadmap that you give to companies who are trying to figure out their content marketing strategy? Like what's mm. a, what's a good kind of uh, people are trying, okay, we're talking about content. We know it's important. How, how do you usually structure some of the roadmap to get to that point where they're using it regularly? Yeah. One of the foundations of content strategy is, is what uh, a lot of us learned from the content marketing Institute way back in the day, which is to define and advance your content marketing mission statement, which uh, we've even simplified beyond what, what, what their framework was 
the way we describe it sometimes is to just say your content and that includes everything that's like every every article every social post every email that you send every video you make every you know webinar every podcast whatever you're doing our content is where audience x finds information y for benefit z if you do that first you've written your you've, you've drawn your roadmap a little bit because you defined your audience You've, just, you've told them what you're talking about, what your content's going to be, what are your topics, what are your formats, and for benefit Z, you've aligned it with a, with a need they have in their life. So in our example, our content is where who? Digital marketers find what? Practical advice about content analytics and web design. Why? To get better results from their websites. So that's our audience X information Y benefit Z. Um, one of the tricks is to just be very specific about the information why, that middle piece. So it's probably going to include, if you write this yourself, it's probably going to include words like tips, advice, stories, trends, news, um, inspiration. Uh, I've got a list somewhere of like 12 words that are almost always appear in content mission statements, but that would be the roadmap. If you do that first, you're going to avoid things that are off topic. You're going to avoid things that are centered on yourself. <laughs> Content marketing is focused on the audience. Um, you're going to avoid things that don't align with, with your uh, key buyers. Um, so I'd, I'd say that's where I would begin. That's kind of step zero. One of the, one of the things I, I've, I've noticed that you're very strategic in, in picking the topics uh, that you do. And uh, you have a great video on your website about how you write a uh, blog post. And I think it's quite fascinating, very strategic. You just don't say, well, what do I feel like writing about today? Can you talk about uh, an approach to that or a strategy around what content you should produce? Yeah, I, I do have that bias toward as a, as a B2B marketer who needs sales all the time. I do have that bias toward bottom of funnel content and some of the best stuff you can write is the stuff that answers questions you get during sales. Mm -hmm. There's a million tools you can use to find out what audiences want. Some people use keyword research. Some people use Google Suggest. Some people use Quora. Some people use Answer the Public. There's lots. Some people use competitive analysis. Uh, some people use social listing to see what's trending. That's all what other people want. What does your most important audience want? What does your prospect want? Very different question. So I would start by by writing some deep form, some deep content, long form content that goes into a lot of depth on the questions you get during sales. Um, content that addresses objections, uh, content that, uh, even content that answers unasked questions. This is the challenger sale. I love when I hear, I, mar the best marketers read sales books. Challenger sales, I think is a content marketing book, even though it's not, it doesn't know it. So, so write content that answers the unasked question. Now let's say you've done that. You've got great sales enablement content. Your, associ your sales associates are following up to meetings by sending those emails out. The next level up, uh, there are uh, lots and lots of ways to figure out what is what will likely work. That article about SEO um, was an example of where I'm first trying to find if I can produce any research that answers questions, research that satisfies information needs. And in that um, in that video I made, I was I was uh, embarking on this research project. What's a good bounce rate? People ask this all the time. What's a good bounce rate for my website? My bounce rate's 50%, what's wrong? What's a, you know, 50% is actually a respectable bounce rate. 
but there wasn't a good answer to that. So I did some research. I have access to 500 analytics accounts and I eventually uh, produced a piece that showed that the average website bounce rate is probably like 61%. So uh, that knowing I was going to publish research on that topic, I then tried to find a keyword to align it with. And then I tried to write an article that went into uh, answered all the related questions, touched on all the re semantically related words, uh, covered all the subtopics. That's SEO is when you write the best page on the internet. If you're not writing the best page on the internet for your topic, you're really not doing SEO. You're really just like trying to trick a robot. It's not that much fun. So talk about the, you're saying of all this, like you're doing research and publishing research. Talk about mm -hmm. how that's been impactful for your brand. Cause it sounds like a lot of people are, referencing your research and using that in other articles and mentioning you and, and talk about that a little bit and how that plays into your strategy. It is all powerful. I have to recommend this. I've never seen anything. There's, it's, it's like 10 X the work, but the results are like a hundred X. So I'm always looking for that. I'm looking for the 10 X effort that will get me a hundred X results, which there are many examples of that. Research is definitely one of them. Uh, people who say I struggled to publish something original research addresses that. I struggle to get mentioned by the media or do good PR, research addresses that. Uh, I struggle to find credibility to add to my website, research addresses that. So if you can find an information gap, like um, ask yourself this, what do people in my industry frequently say but rarely support with evidence? If there's something in your industry that people frequently say but rarely support with evidence, then you found the missing statistic, go, sat, go answer that question, go find that stat using outreach, using surveys, using, you know, find data in the wild through partnerships, partner with bigger brands on research, and then publish that statistic, that data point. Uh, now you've got something, you've truly contributed to your industry. Uh, now you are really a categorically different type of, of brand. You are the primary source. It should be part of any content audit. Ask yourself, is there any information on your website for which you are the primary source? If the answer is yes, you've got a huge advantage in attracting links, in getting press. You've got something to talk about, something to share on social media. You've got something for podcasters to interview you about. Everything you do after that, you know, for the next few weeks using that research, you can use it for months, um, will be easier because you've got something that's just much more valuable, shareworthy, clickworthy, uh, you know, word of mouth, something worth citing. You know, a question I have, <clears throat> quality content like that obviously takes a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's some people out there that say, well, you have to barrage people with content. Um, what's, how, one, how, how often do you need good content and what's quality versus quantity? What's the... Yeah. Well, I think that the flood the zone strategy is overrated. The, I need to, you know, my job is to create a calendar and then be a slave to it. <laughs> I kind of read an article this week. I've got 48 hours left. Let me just put the, slap something together. Really? The world is not waiting for a medium quality blog post. You're going to get far better results by slowing down your cadence and publishing something that's deeper and more valuable. Um, what, anything that you've ever, any, every report you've ever seen in digital marketing is a curve, right? The, the outperformers get exponentially better results. Most things don't get much results at all. A lot of stuff gets nothing. Every page on your website, look at the page views on your own analytics. 
or look at the influencers on Twitter or views in YouTube or any channel, right? The, uh, there's a tiny percent of things that get massive outsized results. With that in mind, I will always work harder to make a piece more likely to be in that top five or you know one percent of things. Research is an example. You don't need a thousand articles in content marketing. You need a hundred great articles. Mm -hmm. uh, with this in mind, I've, um, in a more advanced tactic you can use uh, is to publish, uh, is to, to go back and rewrite old articles to bring them up to that top 1%. Uh, in, it may, it's probably not obvious from the outside, but something like a third of the articles that I write are rewrites of old articles I wrote years ago because the domain is already authoritative. It's already attracted links. I've already done part of the research. Um, it's just a much more efficient way to, uh, to produce something great is to rewrite something old. Where, where do you stand then on um, kind of outsourcing the writing to a third party or ghostwriting? It's, it's um, whatever it takes to get it done. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's better than not doing it. Uh, in fact, it's a very efficient approach if done well. So uh, they say, you know, a lot of executives don't attempt to write. Well, can you write the crappy first draft? Some can, mm -hmm. some can't even do that. Okay, can you sit down with a, uh, with a ghostwriter and let them interview you for half an hour? Um, I have a friend who built an entire business on this. It's called Influence & Co. He just finds executives who want to be in Forbes <laughs> and, he <laughs> interview, and he has a whole team that interviews them. And then he's got the Forbes editors who are waiting for these interviews from these executives from big brands. Uh, I think that it is 100% um, possible to, have, to outsource content marketing. You can't really outsource your voice, but a lot of content, including content promotion, is really tasks that totally can be outsourced. Um, you guys and tons of other companies do it successfully every day. Hmm. We had a question from the audience here. Um, do you have any tips or for beginners who are just entering the marketing world? Like if they're just starting to do some kind of content marketing, uh, what are some ways to be successful and then maintain that um, energy going forward and not feel like you said they're a slave to the calendar? The best in the business are data-driven marketers. So I would just make it a virtue, make it a value, make it one of your principles to consider each of your ideas just a hypothesis and then to go measure the impact of every action. I have ideas too, but years ago I realized that they're actually they're not just, you know, I'm not Don Draper and I can't just do what I think will work and it's magic every time. <laughs> I wish. Instead, uh, I, I consider each idea I have to be a hypothesis. Should I change this page? Should I start making videos? Should I address this topic? Should I partner with that influencer? Should I, should I you know, be active in a channel? Uh, it's, it's answerable. Uh, I don't know the answer until I try. So use analytics, get good at analytics, start thinking about the impact of each of your actions in their ability to affect one of those two most important numbers, traffic or page views. This is classic content marketing, not sales enablement, but classic content marketing, we're always looking to make a difference in one of two ways. We wanna add uh, top of funnel, we wanna increase qualified visitors and, and traffic, or bottom of funnel, we want to convert the maximum percentage of leads into subscribers or lead, or convert visitors into subscribers or leads. 
So yeah, what did you do? Did you change a call to action? If so, it should improve the click-through rate from that page to the contact form. Did you write a search optimized article? If it worked, it should attract qualified visitors, or um, you know, uh, it should rank in search and attract visitors uh, from Google. So just keep in mind that every action you take should be measured, and um, that scoreboard should keep you motivated to keep playing the sport. You know, sports mm -hmm. would be boring without scoreboards, right? Nobody would pay any attention. Marketing, same thing. It'll help you stay motivated. Super powerful. Um, as a part of that too, maybe talk a little bit about how content marketing has benefited your business. Uh, I know a lot of people say, you know, it's not worth the time or it's, it, there's all those uh, objections that come up. Maybe talk about some of the great benefits that you guys have seen. Obviously you mentioned the leads and those things, but what kind of ripple effects does that content chemistry have to kind of give you guys an edge on some of your competitors there in Chicago? Well, there are, uh, there are people who uh, met us years ago and then something changed in their life as something changed in their brand or their company that made them realize they needed to redesign their website. So what happens in that moment? Uh, if they remember us they, because they've been getting our content, they've gotten the newsletter, people have shared our articles with them. People have talked about in meetings, people have talked about something we've created. They think of us, they go to the site, direct traffic visitor, and they fill out the form and they become a lead. If I did not have any content, the people that I met years ago would start at square one, zero moment of truth, they'd search Google, and I'd be in the mix of six other companies. You know, So uh, people that have been exposed to your thinking, people you have helped with insights and advice through content, right? you put them on autopilot basically, they were just on your newsletter or, or came to your events or read your blog. You kept in touch with them for many years through content, they, their gratitude stayed high. Their awareness of you stayed high. So we get leads all the time. Hey, love your work. Been following you for years. Or, hey, everybody at my company is forced to read your book. Our boss makes us. <laughs> or, hey, I, I, I heard you on that show that one, you know, uh, and have been fo and followed you ever since. Now I need your help. So uh, I don't know how we could have done this. We would have to spend, have a big advertising budget probably. There's a famous quote. If you have, this is Guy Kawasaki. If you have more brains than budget, do inbound marketing. If you have more budget than brains, do outbound marketing. <laughs> so if you, that's content versus <clears throat> that's advertising. Very yeah. That's very good. Um, you were talking about, um, uh, you mentioned video. What what different types of content? Obviously, blog, blog posts, something everybody understands. What are what are some of the different types of content that you think are really powerful? Uh, what's what? How's what's your mix look like? Well, when you have a high consideration offering, like yours or mine or a lot of our you know B two B peers, uh, then trust is especially important. And, and uh, then you, it, it may be effective to upgrade your content past the written word. I'm a writer, I love writing, I, that's fine. But, uh, but more compelling and memorable and eye-catching than words is images. And more compelling than images is video. So video is at the top of this hierarchy of compelling content. Um, the, when the internet came along, it took, you know, uh, print media took a hit. TV did not. <laughs> we all still watch a lot of shows. So uh, that's an example of how video can be a really powerful, engaging. It's like 
you know, words, you have to read your, your visitors using more energy. Video, the person kind of sits back and it just sort of goes in directly into their brain. With that in mind, there's, I think there's really three kinds of video. There's social media video, which isn't even on your website. It's on LinkedIn and it's very effective at gaining visibility. It's, it's a great way to promote an article if you make a tiny commercial for it. Past that, there's the content marketing videos. Our strategy is to make like these 12 minute videos that explain something in analytics or SEO. Uh, and that's, that's sort of um, uh, top of funnel content. It's like blog posts. You add them to blog posts. And then, but then at the bottom of the funnel, there's your conversion videos, your about us video, your origin story, video testimonials, the things that need to be higher production quality, the things that are going to be on your site for three years, the things that are speaking directly to a visitor who has buying intent. Content marketing visitors have just information intent. Visitors to your sales pages have commercial intent. They have an intent to buy. Understanding the intent of the visitor to the page, understanding the true story of the life in the visitor to that URL is critical to success. Uh, this is a, an SEO, the keyword research is all about that. Is this keyword an information intent query? What's a typical bounce rate? Or is it a commercial intent query? Chicago web design. So the SEO needs to have that skill. The content strategist needs the skill to scan a list of headlines or scan a list of topics and identify quickly, are these top, middle, or bottom of funnel? Are these information or commercial intent? But yeah, those, if you're gonna make a video, the most valuable video you can make is that origin story, the what you believe, the how you're different, the why your company exists that goes on your homepage or your about page. That'll improve, um, that, that should drive leads far better than, you know, uh, YouTube video. What about uh, uh, podcasting webinars? Uh, where do those fit? Yeah. They're, well, they're fairly low effort to do in some respects. It, isn't it great? You just, it's, it's social. It's, you're, you're building your network. Uh, you're, you're feeling a connection at a time when we're all sort of isolated. Uh, I love it. I love that you're doing this. I'm honored to be part of it. I highly recommend it. Um, it is, uh, and there's also, it can be very strategic. There's ways to use an interview format to open doors with uh, journalists, with influencers, and sometimes with prospects. Reach out, so this is a, a, a tactic only available to podcasters and webinar producers. You can start a show that gives you a kind of a pretext to reach out to potential buyers who are also experts, they're subject matter experts, Hey, I'm doing something on this topic. I'd love to showcase you. Would you mind being on my show? You know, it's pretty simple. We'll do a planning call. So I don't know of another format for content that gives you and your brand value even before you publish it, right? Even before it goes live, even if it gets zero views or zero page views or listens, it doesn't matter because uh, just creating the content gave you and your brand value. And by the way, it's fun. You know, people are... You're doing them a favor anyway, because we all need to feel connected now. We all like to, every, to them, you're a press hit. You know, it's rare for anyone to decline to be interviewed. Uh, people love it. I'm enjoying it, George. That's Thank funny you for because that's, <laughs> that's almost, what Andy just said is almost the emails that I send out when I invite people to be guests on the webinar, almost verbatim. <laughs> and, and are they effective? Yeah, so far. Why wouldn't they be? Who doesn't want to have a conversation? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that's one thing from the uh, pandemic that's, uh, I don't know that we would have done this. We might have, um, but it's sure been a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. 
I agree. Yep. It's a, it satisfies a need beyond marketing, beyond business. We are, the world needs people like you, moments like this where we all feel connected to each other. I mean, it's just, um, there's been a long slog where um, I'm in a giant empty office. I'm not going to tell you what I pay on rent for this space. It's a storage <laughs> unit for 40 empty desks. I'm the only one here. It's cold and dark and quiet, but hey, I don't feel lonely at all. I, I love being on this call with you guys. That's awesome. I know we did have a question come through, um, and I know we had talked about this, but I'll still ask the question. Of the companies you've worked with, what have been some of the biggest content marketing wins? I know you talk about you do really great content marketing for your own brand, but you don't necessarily do it for your clients. So maybe talk about that and kind of how that's played into some of the sites that you guys have designed. Well, depending on the industry, it's totally possible for people to get great results without any content marketing, believe it or not. <laughs> there are still businesses where it's just sort of a quiet corner of the internet and sites without tons of links, sites with lower domain authority can rank well for a commercial intent key phrase. So part of our value proposition is that we build sites that are optimized to rank and optimized to convert visitors into leads. And with the, uh, with the authority that you have, the, the links, you know, your current email list, that can, that can be um, extremely effective. But uh, I have clients, I'm thinking of one, uh, she is a consultant that helps brands figure out sales tax. Large scale e-commerce sites and big businesses have major needs with sales tax. It's a big category. You need software, you need consultants, you need help. Uh, she published this, uh, all the sales tax rates for all the states and counties. And it's like a major resource on the internet. <laughs> she <laughs> is the place you go for that information. Her name's Diane Yatter. Her company is the Sales Tax Institute. She takes her content, webinar series, training materials, and monetizes it directly. She makes money from her content. She, people pay her to come to her events. She's also a, a, a paid speaker. She built up her expertise to the point where she's sought after. She has a personal brand at the point where she's sought after. If you want Diane to keynote your, your event, you're gonna, you know, it's not free. Uh, but she is busy all the time and does nothing more than share her best advice and promote the heck out of it. And that's the other half of the job. <laughs> you gotta promote this content, not just make it. Uh, and all we did was build the mousetrap, right? She creates all the cheese. It's very impressive. What about <clears throat> social media? Hmm. I hear clients, oh, we're not on social media. We got to get out there. We got to be in social media. What is, what is up with social media? Well, that, if you take it as a hypothesis, you know, you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't say we got to get on social media. You know, you would say something like, hey, there is a channel that is becoming quite popular perhaps, and maybe we're missing out. Why don't we run an experiment and be active there for a length of time and see what kind of results we get? That would be probably a better approach than the FOMO. Oh, TikTok's <laughs> popular. I'm missing, I gotta get on TikTok. Really? I'm not even on Facebook. Should I be on, you know, am I missing out? I don't think I'm missing out. I'm a B2B marketer. Why do I need to be on Facebook? Anyway. Uh, I think that when you, the next level of like, what would our results be? What are the goals for being on social media? If your goal is traffic, you're likely going to be disappointed. Social media reach has been throttled back as platforms monetize themselves. 
and the typical post on social media has an organic reach of maybe 2%. That's shocking, right? Think about that. Mm -hmm. You've got a thousand followers, you post something, maybe only 20 will even see it in their streams. They do that because they want you to pay. They want you to boost that post or pay, you know, and it's, it's you know, LinkedIn <laughs> is not cheap to advertise on. So also, if you do are, if you're active enough and you use your account and build up a following, even the visitors that you do get are not commercial intent visitors. They're not very likely to hire you. In other words, the conversion rate from visitor to lead from social media is abysmal. They're not, what are the odds that someone in social media scanning through a stream, you know, on a, scrolling through a piece of glass is going to stop and say, oh, I need, I need some you know, precision ag equipment. Like not that likely. Visitors in social media, visitors in search are busy. Visitors in social are bored. Search has intent. The person's typing something on a keyboard. They're trying to find something. They're looking. No one goes to social media with a plan. Nobody goes to Google to browse. You see, these are like opposite channels. The intent is opposite. But if your, plan, if your idea of doing social media is to, uh, to network, is it to, uh, to build relationships? Is it to, uh, to learn from, from peers? Is it to research what's happening in the industry? Is it to uh, start conversations that you can continue offline or invite onto your podcast? Then yes, you'll be very happy to be on social media because you're using it more like a phone. Nobody says, oh, my phone, most people I talk to don't buy from me, so I'm gonna quit using my phone. That would be crazy. But people say that about social media, they just have the wrong expectation about it. It's not just a place to dump links on the internet. Social should be uh, social. It should be, you know, if you use it as a place to do research and to do networking, you'll be very happy. You guys publish an amazing piece of research. Who are the editors of the trade publications that might publish this? Five seconds, I'll find them all on social media. They're right there. So. Uh, it's a way to it, use it like a phone book and use it like a phone and you'll probably be very happy with it. Well, I think that's a really <clears throat> great uh, analogy. It's a place for conversations, not just to dump social media posts. Yeah. It's, that, that was never very social, was it? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's like anti-social media. I just, I keep dumping links on Facebook and nothing's happening. Why would something happen from that? That'd be weird. And, and one of our guests we had last week, um, Steve Clayton, he was, he was talking, he's with NetBlaze, and he was saying that, uh, what was it, like 20% of businesses don't even have a website still? Like, it's, there's still a considerable mm -hmm. amount of people that just think even Google is like, oh, we don't need it. We're, we got word of mouth. We're, we'll figure it out, you know, without it, too. It's kind of crazy how people can think that they don't need to play in that arena, you know, to be found. I mean, if you pretend to be your audience for half an hour a week, you know, just watch yourself or imagine your buyer. Where are they today? What are they doing? Even if it's word of mouth, how have you helped become, you know, how do you, how do you worked hard to win at word of mouth? And that's, that's a thing too. Oh, isn't that the key? I think that's something we don't do enough is pretend to be our audience. It's, uh, I said data driven empathy. You don't even need data to pretend to be your audience. There's um, put, Put, uh, put a prospect in front of your website and tell them to you know, learn what you do. Um, there's, I, I'm an analytics guy, so I have access to a lot of data, but uh, if your website were a city, 
there'd be a highway flowing through it. Do you know what the top clicks are? Do you know what people always click on? Do you know what people never click on? Is your most compelling content on your most popular pages? In other words, are there billboards on your highways? Do you have any great videos or calls to action or testimonials that are on pages rarely visited? I still see sites that have testimonials pages, which I rarely recommend. People tend not to go to a testimonials page. A lot of, a lot of analytics accounts, it's like the 20th most popular page. Why would you put your most compelling messages on your 20th most popular page? Because that's what you did when you made a testimonials page. Put your best stuff in your most prominent places. So it's an obvious instant win for almost anyone is to just realign their content so their most compelling prom messages are also their most prominent messages. Well, would you say when you look at the hierarchy on a typical site, uh, is the, the contents arranged about how they think of it, not how their visitors think about it. I've got videos over here, I've got a blog post over here, and that's, I'm, I, I'm coming to look for answers to a question that might exactly. involve all of those. Is that, is that what you see? Oh, George, that's a great example because a lot of people will take their, their navigation and structure it by format. It's like, hey, click here for blogs, click here for videos, click here for white papers. But nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to read a good white paper. Any topic will do. <laughs> That's insane. People care about topics. People care about their problems. So navigation should be topical. It should be, it should be descriptive. Uh, I had a, um, it wasn't a disagreement, but it was a healthy debate uh, on Friday with a client that wanted to create a section called service areas and another section called solutions. And I asked them, like, in, does your, in the mind of your visitor, are these separate things? Well, that's how we are structured. That's how we talk about it. That's how we, you know, this is, there's a joke. It's like, um, if your site is too focused on yourself and the content all just says, we, 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 then you failed the French test. <laughs> you said, we, we, we all over. You didn't talk about your audience. You didn't think about it from their perspective. And the next joke is, of course, don't we, we all over your website. <laughs> It's not for you. Your site is for them. If you asked someone why your site, you know, someone once asked me, like, why do, in one word, why do, what's the most important thing a website can do? And the answer is, it just needs to answer. It needs to answer people's questions. So I would, um, uh, your website, the highest form of web development is to build the site, not for the client, but for the client's clients, to guide them through a series of messages that are prioritized from their perspective uh, and a visual hierarchy that guides them through these pages where they get more informed and more trusting. Answer evidence, answer evidence, call to action. So yeah, it's, it's tough to explain that to a client, but um, the best clients do understand. What about um, the, the second biggest search engine, YouTube? Do you, um, do you try to optimize the content on your YouTube page? Do you want to drive traffic to your, your website? What's the relationship between the two? Uh, mm -hmm. what's, your, what are, what's your feeling about YouTube content? Well, I, we talked about video and how much I love video. And I said of the three kinds of video, social media video, content marketing video, and conversion video, I put the YouTube in the second category. This is your educational stuff. Um, it may be right there in your content mission statement. And we publish educational videos on these topics. 
there is, if you already have an active blog, it's an easy fit because you can just take your most popular articles and put a YouTube video at the top of them. And that YouTube video is now well promoted. So you can uh, use your platform, use your channels to amplify each other. YouTube descriptions, I'll say visit the full article, you know, the detailed step-by-step -step article on this website. The website has an embedded YouTube video, you know, that has a call to action to subscribe to the YouTube channel. So if, you, if it's not the beginning of your content marketing and you have some popular posts, just make YouTube videos that summarize your most popular posts. It's automatic win. The, YouTube video, the views will get pumped up in YouTube and you'll start teaching YouTube that you have an active channel. The content itself on YouTube, it's a, um, uh, there's a couple of things that make a big difference there. You're ultimately hoping to train YouTube to know when to recommend you. Yes, it's a massive search engine, but the most successful channels are the ones that get recommended. Ah. That's, that's like the holy grail on YouTube is to, is to eventually somehow get YouTube to know, this is what you're relevant for. This is what I should recommend you for. This is the, I should put you on these people's homepages on the right side of these videos. I should have you be the suggested video at the end of these videos. So, uh, that is a very long road. Uh, I know people that have been active on YouTube for years and then suddenly blew up because, you know, the YouTube algorithm decided they liked them eventually. Some ways you can help that. I think YouTube custom thumbnails, the video custom thumbnails from YouTube should probably have a face, which draw, draws attention. That's visual prominence and a headline in the thumbnail. So if you do a search in YouTube for a competitive keyword like SEO or something, you're going to see all the YouTubers do this face headline, face headline in all the custom thumbnails because you're trying to maximize the play rate, right? Also use the data in YouTube. You can see what is the attention? What is the point at which people are dropping off? Which videos are getting viewed more and keep iterating. Um, the, the famous YouTubers I've, I've known are the, one of them was like, um, how to do video blogs. But then she realized that her most popular ones were about when she talked about productivity. She doesn't talk about video blogging anymore. She's a productivity, like what to do in the morning, what to do before bed, how to plan your day. Millions and millions of views on her. She, it's, it's, so she iterated based on what was working. And um, her pivot, that's Amy Landino. Um, it's breathtaking how much traffic, how many people are on YouTube. Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? <clears throat> and how, uh, how few people actually look at their analytics on a regular basis to see exactly what's going on. YouTube analytics, it's called YT Studio. Um, it's fascinating. It gives you tons of data. It shows you where your views are coming from, when you're being recommended, how long people are watching your videos. Um, it's, it's, uh, YouTube analytics is very detailed. Strangely, it has no... It, it doesn't look at all like Google Analytics. You'd think these things would be a little more <laughs> aligned. The UX is not familiar to me. When I first got in there, I was like, really? How come it doesn't look like Google <laughs> Analytics? Um, I had a question too. Uh, you do a newsletter, so you have a little bit of outbound. Tell me about your outbound and, <clears throat> you know, especially like uh, kind of link building. And they mm -hmm. may be two separate topics. Mm-hmm. I know that HubSpot considers pay-per-click to be sort of inbound and email to be sort of outbound. 
I think that definition is confusing and I still think of email as inbound mm. or rather it's, I think the term inbound is just confusing. I think it's far easier to just call it content marketing. Content marketing has three classic channels, search, social, and email. Content marketing is the free, you know, it's the, it's educational content. Advertising is the opposite of content marketing. And that of course includes pay-per-click. I suppose cold email would be considered outbound for sure. Anyway. I would say fishing or hunting. That's the, that's my, <laughs> I think of it in my mind. Yeah. Are you casting the, a net or are you going out with a spear and you're trying to find people that way? So. Yep. The net or the spear. I have some blind spots. I should use a spear sometimes, but it's <laughs> definitely the net. So, so a visitor comes to a website, visitor found the article to be unexpectedly helpful. Visitor subscribes to a newsletter. Now they're a subscriber. Uh, growing your list is really important because uh, we live in an era. It's basically like a duopoly. Google and Facebook are controlling digital advertising. So growing your email list is really your only chance of contacting your audience directly. That's the moment when you are uh, free to, you know, it's disintermediation. You've removed the giant tech company from between you and your audience. Um, you don't own your search rankings. You don't own your Facebook likes or, or LinkedIn followers or connections, but you own your email list and you own your content. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I highly recommend, I mean, every serious marketer I know is like obsessed with growing their list for good reason. Link building is the unknown but super powerful factor in search rankings. So you may notice you search for a very valuable key phrase, all the sites that rank are famous. Why? Why don't little blogs rank for HDTVs? They'll never will. <laughs> because all the sites that rank are famous websites. Fame in, in, in Google is basically like other sites have linked to you. It's, a, it's just link popularity, originally called PageRank in Google. Uh, now more often called domain authority. The domain authority of your website is the quantity and quality of other sites that have linked to you. So knowing that to rank for Chicago web design, very competitive, I need to have a high link popularity. I need to have a lot of domain authority. How do I do that? Well, you need, you need links. How do you win links? You have to have content worthy of being linked to. Nobody's ever going to link to your sales pages. That would be weird. Why would they? That's strange. But people do link to articles all the time. What kind of articles do people link to the most? Research. <laughs> because it answers their question. Because it's a citation, right? It's like the bibliography. So producing research is a way to um, dramatically increase the chance of being linked to. And then secondly, collaborating with content creators. Build a network of people who create content because those people make links. If you have a big network of content creators, bloggers, journalists, editors, and you have original research on your site, you have all the key ingredients to organically attract links from other sites and uh, eventually become a, uh, you know, have a chance of ranking for that really valuable commercial intent key phrase. It's, it's uh, if you've never seen the analytics for a site that ranked for a really valuable phrase, um, I should make a video about this. It's incredible how much, how many people just become leads every day. How many people are looking for these topics? Someone right now is searching for every listener, every, everyone here. Someone is searching for our products. Someone is searching for our services. Someone is seeing search results. Someone is clicking on a website. Someone is seeing compelling content. Someone is filling out a contact form. 
there are thousands of leads being born right now as we speak. <laughs> so that's why I feel urgency around this. I, you know, to, uh, uh, to make sure that we're in that mix and we have a chance of helping those people. You know, the thing I, I think so interesting about research, <clears throat> and that was never, never something I uh, thought of before, is something you uniquely own. You're just you not regurgitating something else, which I see a lot of, you know, oh, well, let's just repeat what the common, what everyone else is saying. How one image of research is, I mean, you know, big data and all this test tubes and research and you know <laughs> you know wires and things what are the ways that you can actually uh, uh, generate meaningful research well when we start with that question what do people frequently say but rarely support with evidence uh, we realized eight years ago that no one had really answered this question how long does it take to write a blog post how could I credibly answer that question I need to ask a lot of people so I just worked my fingers to the bone, emailing friends and, you know, one-on-one -on -one messages and LinkedIn and wherever to get a thousand bloggers to fill out a short survey. At the end of that um, effort, I had a credible answer to questions like how long is the typical blog post? How long does it take to write a blog post? How does the average blogger promote their content? Is the average blogger successful in their own self-reported review? Then I did it again and again. I recently published the seventh annual blogger survey a few months ago. And it has data like the average blog post takes four hours to create. The average blog post is 1,260 words. The average, the trend over time. Last week, um, a famous marketer named Neil Patel linked to that. Content Marketing Institute linked to that. HubSpot linked to it. These are super valuable links because they're from high authority websites. There is, I didn't make those happen. All I did was publish this research and promote it. How on earth could you get authoritative websites to spontaneously link to your content every day? This is how. So the framework for creating it, that, in that example, it was like you know, a ton of outreach. Surveys are hard. You have to promote them twice. You got to promote the survey to get the data, then you got to promote it after it's live. Other times, what's the lifespan of a typical website? I don't know. Does anyone know? Couldn't find an answer. So I had a virtual assistant look at this, the top 100 websites. I downloaded a list and looked at them in the Wayback Machine, you know, archive.org mm -hmm. to see the interval at which they redesigned. The answer is two years and seven months. Wow. For those top sites, yeah. Wow. My site is the, is the source of that data. It, it took me only hundreds of dollars to create. Just the virtual assistant had to go back and look. Um, so depending on the, on the methodology, uh, research might be easier than you think. And also there's companies, ascend2.com, mantisresearch.com. This is all they do. You know, I think maybe a 5K budget, something like that. They will run your whole project and produce for you this way Gartner and Forrester do, hmm. you know, for $25,000, for $50,000. That's what those companies do. They'll publish original research on behalf of a, of a company and manage the whole project for you. So it, that also can be outsourced. Well, that's fascinating. Um, I think one last question I had, what's, what are the three or four biggest mistakes people make <laughs> starting down the content marketing path? Assuming they know their audience is a common mistake. If you, uh, 
if you start publishing without listening first, you're less likely to, to hit the mark. Uh, and then after you begin publishing, uh, not, not reviewing results, not seeing what's working, not checking the performance of these things. A lot of people send email without adding campaign tracking code. You need to add campaign tracking code in Google Analytics to see. You get reports on, you know, did people visit? If they did, how long? How many pages did they visit? Uh, a lot of people just setting up Google Analytics, setting up Google Analytics from, from the beginning. Uh, if you do that well, um, your, the accuracy of your data is, is um, can to be better forever. Another common mistake, obsessing over the accuracy of analytics. It's never accurate. Every number in analytics is wrong. <laughs> it, it's based on JavaScript and cookies. Not everybody accepts cookies, you know? So that's, so it only has to be accurate to a point. Some people just keep working harder and harder to try to, you know, filter out things and do fancy setup stuff and not necessary. Um, and then in the end, I think that some people are actually doing a good job, but they, they just lose the, the endurance. They don't, they don't stick with it long enough. Content marketing is durable. Everything you publish stays out there, but it's slow. Advertising is temporary. It's there only as long as you pay, but it's fast. <laughs> you could be, mm -hmm. you know, advertising is fast and temporary. Content marketing is slow and durable. So I think you have to um, uh, stay with it for a long time. And finally, just remember that every number is actually a person. Don't obsess about page views. Keep in mind the bottom of the funnel and sales and relationships and networking. Uh, try to get closer. Do things to bring yourself closer to your audience. You don't really want them at arm's length. Move from, you know, from, from LinkedIn to uh, email to a phone call. That's, you know, that's good networking. So I, I like to put a lot of emphasis on the kind of human side of it and to um, build relationships. Think of it as friendships. Like just do what any good sales rep from the 1980, I'm, I'm Gen X, so I remember those days. Um, stay close, get closer to your audience. Um, content shouldn't keep us apart. It should be bringing us closer together. Mm, well said. Absolutely. We want to be mindful of your time, Andy, real quick um, for everybody that's here. Maybe if they want to learn more about you or your book, where is a good place people can find you and, and learn more about you and what you guys do? Uh, I write an article once every two weeks at orbitmedia.com. Uh, it's a website without, I literally only send an email once every two weeks. That website doesn't have a pop-up on it. We're pretty cautious about our, our audience's attention. Uh, the book is sort of everything I know between two covers. You can find it at Amazon. It's just called Content Chemistry. If you look for it, make sure you're on the fifth edition. There, the older ones are still there. Um, and then social, probably LinkedIn. Any, anyone, any listeners, any attendees here would be welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn uh, and ask me anything there. That's awesome. We'll make sure to link your book and all that information in the show notes and as well as in the webinar description for folks if they want to check that stuff out. But thanks everybody for being on the show. Thank you, Andy, again for being on and uh, everybody enjoy the rest of your week and your Thanksgiving. Yeah, Andy, it was a pleasure uh, spending an hour with you. I enjoyed it. Thanks guys for having me on. This was super fun. Thank you for listening to the Art of Marketing podcast from Applied Art and Technology. 
If you liked the episode, make sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a review so we can help more listeners connect with their customers. See the show notes for access to our free 88-page video idea book filled with ideas for your next production. And to learn more about our company, visit our site at appliedart.com.